This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn. As mentioned, it is the fourth episode of our week-long series, Understanding Refugees. Today, we are going to hear a personal story from a Rohingya refugee who spent 21 years in Malaysia before resettling to the United States. And joining us on the line for this conversation is Sharifa Shakira, uh, who is both a Rohingya refugee as well as founder of the Rohingya Women Development Network Malaysia. Sharifa, thank you so, so much for speaking to us. Now, a huge part of your life was spent here in Malaysia as a refugee. Let's start at the beginning. Can you tell us about the journey that you and your family made to Malaysia all those years ago? At the age of five or six years old, I was made to leave my country um, because of my identity and my um, ethnicity, as well as my religion that not accepted in Burma as a Rohingya Muslim. Because of that, we have to flee the country. Uh, first, I remember I was taken to a plane and then uh, arrived in Thailand. And then I get in the sea, you know, a fishing boat. And then uh, crossing um, somewhere in between the borders uh, to the jungle. And finally, again, by bus. So it ends. I couldn't come with my parents, so we, me, my sister, and my uh, mother were separated in in the half of the journey um, because uh, the traffickers couldn't take us um, together. And why did you choose Malaysia? I did not choose Malaysia. Maybe Malaysia chose me. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. I think my father already in Malaysia uh, before us. Uh, I remember he told us that he was made to leave the country as well. Um, they were looking for men and he was not safe. So he couldn't return home and he straight away have to leave the country. Uh, he went to different uh, places uh, and he ended up living in Malaysia. So because our father is already in Malaysia, we want to reunite our family. Um, that's why uh, we came to Malaysia. And what were those initial days like upon arriving? Where did support come from? As far as I remember, uh, at that time, I did not know anyone uh, who helped us uh, with medical or with documentation or anything like that. I remember my dad took us, uh, all of us, um, into community uh, center. They did a lot of paperwork, registration, while a lot of Rohingya was um, in that office uh, and they were waiting. I think uh, Abim uh, was assisting with the paperwork. And one day after we did the registration in the center for our paperwork, we were taken to some other places, which is like very deep inside the uh, jungle. I think there's a lot of oil palm uh, with buses, uh, school buses, like big buses. And we spent nights uh, in that jungle to be called our name. I mean, to, to for our turn. And we give our fingerprint 
And then um, after, I think, uh, some months, several months, uh, would dad say that whatever we did was not successful for the paperwork? So uh, now uh, UNHCR have invited us to get our refugee uh, process to be done. So I just remember that we went to UNHCR again waiting uh, in a long time since morning, early in the morning and um, wait our turn, you know, waiting under the hot weather is so hot, like whole day we spend. And then we get our cut, uh, UNHCR cut. But that's the only things that I remember uh, as far as getting um, help from someone. But again, we have to do all those things by ourselves. We have to wait so many hours. And um, it's just for one paperwork. But other than that, we don't receive anything else. So this is something that we've covered quite a bit this week, but xenophobic sentiment against refugees has been growing. Is this something you felt even when you first arrived in the 90s? Have you seen it change over time? When I first came to um, Malaysia, I did not understand a lot of stuff. Um, I, when I, before I came, I thought I would be accepted. I will get opportunities to study, to build my life, you know, to get friends. But coming to Malaysia after, you know, at a young age, I couldn't understand much. Um, One thing that I really understand is that I try to make friends, but people doesn't want to be friends with me. And I was bullied a lot. Um, I was thrown water on me uh, while I was taking voodoo in madrasa. Um, you know, those kind of stuff. I felt very lonely, um, not accepted at all. Um, and it seemed that people are not accepting who I am. Um, and it's very difficult uh, when you don't speak the language and people just look at you in a different way and treat you in different way. So at young age, um, it was hard for me, you know, to understand and to process what was going on. But one thing only I understand is because people keep saying, Koburma, uh, Koburma, you know, like tease me around. Um, it just that, you know, I could understand much. And I'm um, looking at today, um, it is heartbreaking um, because um, the hates that we see, some of the hates uh, we see on social media, uh, it's really worrying. So it's heartbreaking. But at the same time, I am really grateful. Uh, my community are very grateful that um, there is a lot of good people uh, in Malaysia, a lot of good uh, uh, locals that help us uh, be with us. I remember my dad used to have a friend who helped him with a lot of stuff. You know, we'll always be there for him whenever he need him. It's just that uh, sometimes when it's happening so big outside, it's really difficult as a community to deal with it. But there are a lot of individuals, a lot, a lot of individuals that understand uh, why we are there and, you know, be very sympathetic uh, about our situations and, you know, make us feel home. I always feel Malaysia is second home for me, um, even though, you know, I'm not accepted as a refugee there. But the feelings, you can't take it away. It, it It's there. 
I still speak Malay, even though I'm in Malaysia. I speak cooked Malay food. I mean, I love nasi lemak, laksa. I make it almost every month um, and try to do other dishes at least once a week. Um, I speak Malay with my siblings, my friends here in the United States. I dress, you know, baju kurung here and, you know, it just those stuff you cannot take it away from me because it's become part of my identity. We're speaking today with Sharifa Shakira, a Rohingya refugee and founder of the Rohingya Women Development Network Malaysia. Uh, to get a personal perspective on the refugee experience, we'll continue our conversation after this. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Banish feudal mentality. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. It is 5.18 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn. It is episode four of Understanding Refugees, our series this week in conjunction with World Refugee Day. Today we are hearing a personal perspective. So on the line with me is Sharifa Shakira, a Rohingya refugee and founder of the Rohingya Women Development Network Malaysia, which is uh, what our next question is going to be about because Sharifa, during your time here, you did found this network. Uh, Tell us about what moved you to do that. I came to Malaysia as a refugee and I will always felt not accepted. I always want friends, but I, I, you know, I couldn't make any. And I always, because of that, I always felt that, you know, I need to go back. Uh, I don't belong here. Um, I al- It always made me miss my friends, my community, my country. And those feelings always haunt me to do work for my community, my people, um, you know, so that one day we have a peaceful country, democratic country, and we can go home. When I try to discuss, uh, you know, these feelings uh, with my family, they also don't understand what I was trying to say. In 2012, uh, when I was first time speaking uh, to the world um, uh, about the existence of Rohingya, and uh, who we are, what we are facing, it's made me to do more and it's made my family see what actually I was trying to say and try to do. And um, I started involving a lot of uh, work in the NGO, in, you know, in the community. I try to teach, I try to do whatever I can with whatever small money that I have from my own work as a salary and I use it for my community. And uh, while doing those small things uh, in 2015 and 16, there was a huge boot crisis that happened. A lot of Rohingya, uh, you know, decided to come to Malaysia uh, because their houses, their women, uh, their father being arrested. The, the village was burned down and, you know, these people decided to come to Malaysia. At that time, the traffickers uh, take advantage of especially the young girls and women. After coming to the uh, halfway of the journey, especially in us on the sea or in Thailand, uh, these women, these girls, uh, they are cheated. They were raped, they were uh, tortured, they were detained. Obviously, there are men as well uh, in this situation that go to the same um, issue. And um, hearing those uh, issues, you know, it's breaks my heart and I didn't see any women services specifically were available for refugees and for my uh, you know community so I decided that we need to have our own organization at least we can create that safe space 
rather than we work with other people where we become the translator and the message doesn't go through. So when we have our own space, then, you know, we can feel home, we can feel connected, we can feel each other and help each other out. With that intention, RWDM was founded. And Alhamdulillah, today we are doing just more than, you know, giving a space, safe space to our women and girls. In 2019, you resettled to the United States. How have the last four years been like for you and your family? First day uh, when I stepped into the United States, there was a family, a uh, local family together with my family came to, uh, you know, pick me up from the airport. I never met this family. Um, you know, like we seeing a white family came to pick us up with their uh, uh, United States flight with gifts and say they're welcome to America. Um, I think she heard from my NGO friends that I'm coming. So she decided to come with her husband to pick me up. And she hugged me and she said, welcome to America. It breaks my heart because that was the only one words that I was trying to figure out, you know, entire my life. That feeling of belonging, feeling of being accepted. So that was, a, you know, something so big that I, I, you know, it's difficult for me to uh, digest within me. It took me a couple of days uh, even to really communicate with my family because I was just for kind of lost, you know, where am I, what am I doing, you know? And um, obviously Malaysia is so dear to us, like so close to us. It's like I say, it's our second home. And I'm coming to United States. You feel welcome, but you don't feel like you belong. You don't feel like... You know, this is where you, you know, have to stay to, you know, stuff like that. So it was very difficult, but the people here are very nice, you know, make me feel really welcome, you know, help me with my process of getting adjust to the culture, to the country, you know, to the society. And uh, it's been wonderful, wonderful. Every day there is new opportunities. Um, you just have to work hard here. The others, the opportunities are here. So I've been working really hard um, and um, I, I've been grateful. I, I have two daughters now, uh, which is citizen right away after they were born. So it's a peace for me inside my heart because they don't have to uh, run from the authorities like I was in my childhood um, to be safe. So they are safe here. It's a wonderful country. Always grateful. Uh, but it's make me miss Malaysia every day. It make me miss my people, my my colleagues, uh, Malaysian colleagues, um, and um, my friends, Malaysia friends. And I'm I really hope one day I can go back to Malaysia and feel, you know, like I don't know what to say, but just to feel like I'm here. I you know this is where I I left it for so many years, and now I'm here again. You know, just to refill that air, I guess. Sharifa, we discussed this briefly uh, this week as well, but for many, resettlement is often the closest refugees can get to closure and stability. Do you agree with this? For me, resettlement is one of the important opportunities or, uh, or solution that have to be given to the refugees because um, refugee like us, Rohingya like us, they either can go home, neither can stay. So the best way for us, uh, you know, to uh, 
the best way is to give a resettlement because coming to the third country, getting resettled, re it's hard to rebuild our life, of course, but um, it is very important. Forget about us, it's for our children um, to be recognized, to be educated. If refugee like me are not given opportunity to get resettled, if my children are not given the right opportunity to study and you know to 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 be strong, to be confident, to be voice up, whatever happening in my country, the genocide, the purpose of clearing out the Rohingya from the land will continue to happen. And one day we will gone because our identity, our culture, our preservation, our language will not be existed anymore so we need to uh given these opportunities to feel that freedom you know to feel that rights as a human to live as equally as others so it's very very important so for Rohingya refugees in particular the circumstances differ from that of others because of you know that that statelessness how does that complicate matters for refugees from the Rohingya community I felt uh, really um, heartbreaking to see that Rohingya are treated very differently from other community. Um, and I don't understand why. Um, it is very challenging when you say, it, you know, I am Rohingya and this, uh, we were quickly judged by uh, many people considering us a Bangladeshi or, you know, uh, people like, dirty or you know doesn't know much to do so i as a community um, leader i will all i always try to uh, educate my community about the culture about the law about the situations the society there in malaysia and um, to try to learn and you to be part of it but it's really hard for me in that position you know to guide them because i'm giving the hope but there's no hope you know what i mean and I'm seeing that only Rohingya been treated differently, especially on social media. It's really heartbreaking. So I really hope there is uh, no differentiate. Like people don't differentiate only a few refugee with different category. I hope refugee mean refugee, no matter where you come from. Refugee mean we are coming to seek for shelter you know, for temporary to to try to help ourselves uh, with trauma that we go to in our country and try to help our family uh, survive and uh, live while we get another opportunity, wait, uh, you know, for the opportunity to come. At, at that time, I hope um, situations are a little bit easier, uh, you know, for them. So... I really hope there is no discriminations between the refugees group, but they are looked as uh, equally and looked as a, you know, as a refugee with a sympathetic, empathic, uh, you know, and understand that they are here temporary and to given an opportunity or given uh, or look at a, at least equally. Sharifa, what message would you like to leave us with? Um, every year we celebrate Refugee Days and um, I really hope we look at Refugee Days as um, years that we celebrate uh, refugees with their achievement, you know, in their life and given opportunities to them to rebuild their life and look as a positive uh, message and, um, uh, you know, try to find solution for them. 
And um, I am also want to say that refugees are never a problem. Refugee is, I think, if you see it, it can be an opportunity. Um, like, for example, in America, I, I was given an opportunity to come to this country, work, study and build myself. But I think also have the country because I am contributing to the country as well. I was given the opportunity to rebuild the build the um, economy together. So I think refugees should be looked as not a burden at least. Sharifa, thank you for speaking with us. That was Sharifa Shakira, a Rohingya refugee and founder of the Rohingya Women Development Network Malaysia. You're listening to the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. Be free, Malaysia. BFM 89.9, the business station. It is 5.39 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn. A look back at the messages that we've gotten on Episode 4 of Understanding Refugees. So just as a recap, um, we have been doing a week-long series on refugees in conjunction with World Refugee Day. Um, We have so far covered entrepreneurship and business, that was yesterday, and prior to that, legal rights as well as the history of refugees spanning back so many wars and battles. Um, And today we spoke specifically to a woman who spent 21 years here before relocating to the United States. She is a Rohingya refugee and uh, we asked her essentially about her journey and we have people weighing in on this. So for example, Asmin says, Sharifa, my heart goes out to you for the negative experience you had. And I think, you know, listening to how tough it was or listening to how difficult, difficult it was for the way people might have engaged with Sharifa, I think it is difficult to hear. I mean, she emphasized over and over that people were also very kind and welcoming to her here in Malaysia, as well as in the United States. But yeah, I mean, I think in general, the the feeling of not having a country or not having a a permanent home to settle in for a very long time can be difficult. Lee Jun, meanwhile, says, The treatment of Rohingya and Bosnian Serb refugees, like it or not, it was the colour of their skin that determined the difference. And please don't get me started on the Vietnamese boat people. In fact, the American senators who caused the Vietnam War voted against accepting Vietnamese refugees. Ironically, it was black Americans who rallied and petitioned to allow Vietnamese refugees into America. So I think I'm glad that you're talking about this, Legion, because in some ways it reflects why we've been trying to examine this week from the perspectives that we have. In other words, covering everything, including history, because it is important to note that, I mean... It's not unique to our country. These things have been going on for a very long time. If you'd like to share your thoughts um, on refugees and the way they're treated here, uh, what we could do better, anything at all, uh, you can send it through. That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note to zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.